New on Curiosity Stream, how do you connect a 16th century potato to limitless energy production? Could Napoleon's toothpick have a direct link to a machine that predicts the future? And how can a 1700s conch shell chart a course to humans connecting their brains to the internet? James Burke's visionary series, Connections, returns for a new generation. Experience all new Connections. With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Welcome to High Stakes Episode 4. I'm your host, Neil Orfield, and my guest today is a great GPP player with first place takedowns in NFL, NBA, MLB, MMA, and soccer, just off the top of the list. Uh, and he's also, I would say, one of the best teachers, DFS teachers in the entire world. Uh, you can find his content all day, every day on Awesomeo. Uh, he is prolific and he does great content. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Josh Engelman, DraftKings at Josh Engelman, FanDuel at Josh Engelman, Roto-Grinders profile at Josh Engelman. My guest today, Jake Johnson. No, just kidding. <laughs> Josh, how are you doing, Josh? I'm good, Neil. How are you, man? I'm good, too. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. Thanks for joining on such short notice. Uh, we, Happy I was, to be I was planning to invite you on in you know, a month or two, maybe wait a little bit on some of the Osmo guys, but... Uh, you're a good guest to have on short notice because you do this all the time. You're pretty natural at it. So I really appreciate you coming on. It's weird to be natural at this. I'd like to say that I like it. It's not something I want to say about myself, but given the amount of content I've probably done over the past five years, I never thought that I would be natural at something like this. But I think I'm at that point now where I, I, I can just kind of do this. You can just you, be like, hey, can you do a show right now? And it's like, yeah, I can actually. Yeah. I mean, we were talking earlier. We probably could have done this show in half an hour like we probably yeah. did not need to prep for the show because you have you do this so often it's very natural to you it's funny i, I re-listened to the your uh theory of dfs where you were a guest with blender on that yeah. episode and you were talking about your early episodes uh where you were just not natural and you were slumped over and you didn't have the energy and stuff uh, and i i really want to go back and watch those because now i've been mm -hmm. watching you for three or four years at this point and you've always yeah. been great uh, in the time that I've been watching awesome so it'd be pretty funny for me to see those videos um, but I haven't haven't done that yet I mean even are if they, I go they back still and available? watch yeah everything everything on my channel is still available even if I go back to early awesome stuff I hate it with like a raging passion it's not it's probably been like the last 18 months or so where I really think that I finally got enough time in to feel comfortable in being on camera and just like looking at the camera was a really big stretch yeah. for me. That's something that I just never really thought about. It, like trying to push my voice out, something that I never really thought about. Uh, I don't know. It, it, was, it was bad at the beginning. It was good in that I was doing something that most people weren't doing. And that yeah. was, I think, incredibly helpful for me. I can't imagine how much better it would have been if I were any good at it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, so I'm still in that learning phase. I'm sure in a year I'll look back at content I'm doing now and think, what were you doing there? Like, I'm still learning to look at the camera instead of, yeah. I mean, I still do a lot of reading on the screen and stuff, but uh, it's, yeah. it's a struggle. But do you think the content was good anyway, even if your, you know, your aura, your, your presence wasn't as good as it is now? Do you think you were putting out content that was good? Because you, you mentioned also on the show that you didn't really have anything to model your work on at that point. So like I watch, yeah. and I watch you guys and I kind of <laughs> have a better idea of, you know, what I want to talk about because I've watched so many shows. But when you started, there really wasn't a lot of content out there. So you were, you know, just kind of seat of your pants, kind of figuring it out as you go. Do you think the content was still pretty good? I don't know if I was necessarily like, like pushing people in the proper directions in comparison to where, what I would say now, like I've just from being able to talk to Alex or Adam as, as much as I have over the past couple of years, like I'm just not this, I'm, I'm not looking at DFS in the same way. But from the visual that I was providing, that was something that no one else was doing, or at least not to my knowledge, no one else was doing. No one else was sharing their entire Excel workbook and showing everybody literally everything that was going on. Like the entire screen was always up for everything and no one else was doing that. And I think that was helpful. So people saw how much actually goes into the back end if you want to try to organize everything that you have. So in that regard, yeah, I think it was pretty helpful. Okay. I didn't realize that you were still, you were doing that already back then. I know now you do that with the process show. You're showing, you know, you're showing your screen and showing exactly what you're doing, which I think is really helpful for a lot of players. Of course, your, your situation is pretty complex. So yeah. it would probably take somebody a little bit, you have to be kind of advanced in Excel to figure out how to do what you're doing, but still it gives people kind of an idea of the work that goes into it and kind of what you need to do day to day to stay on top of it. Yeah, it was basically... The show that I would do in the morning would be the equivalent of the process show now, like projecting rotations and sharing my screen. That was basically the exact same thing that I was doing each morning. But I, I, then I would do what amounted to a live before lock, but also the same process, sharing my screen, updating everything for news as it was coming out, running my crunches, uploading my lineups. I mean, there were times where I did not get my lineups in, and that, was, that entire experience was shared on the screen for everybody oh, no. else to see. Yeah, that, that happened sounds, a couple of uh... times. Yeah, that sounds almost as bad as when uh, Justin McMahon shared that video of when he lost $100,000 live. He was watching as he, as he lost on a home run late. Uh, that would That's be brutal. painful painful to watch. Brutal. Um, let, let's, try, let's dive into your background a little bit. Sure. So on the, on the Theory of DFS podcast, you suggested that most new players should take a course on probability and statistics. Uh, it's pretty clear watching your content that these are things that you are strong at, but I'm curious about your background in these areas. Are you formally trained? Like, did you, you know, take courses on this stuff at a college level or is it a lot of self-teaching? How, how did you get to where you are with statistics and probability? A little bit of both. Um, I've always been just naturally numbers inclined. Uh, every math class that I had growing up was, I don't want to say like it was a breeze, but I just did well in anything math related in comparison to taking like a biology class. I, I couldn't be bothered. So just from that regard, it's always just came a little bit more natural to me, but I was a finance major in college. I had to take statistics courses in college, even just like general econ courses and stuff where it's, you know, math adjacent to a degree. Uh, it's, I've always just been in that sort of numbers field. And then uh, I was doing some financial analytical work. So I was dealing in uh, more statistical based stuff just as a job. I was in banking for a bit. So it's just always been numbers, numbers, numbers for me. Okay. So you've been doing this kind of stuff forever. So it makes sense yeah. that it was kind of a, a natural transition for you. I'm a little bit the same way. So I, I did not do anything math related in college. I was an English major, but like okay. growing up, I was the same in that 
I hated both math and science, but I still did well at math while I sucked at science. So, yeah. so kind of similar that like I had sort of a mathematical brain, I could do it even, but I just, I didn't like it. So I didn't continue doing it. And now sure. of course I, I love it and I'm really into statistics and stuff. So uh, yeah. kind of getting back into it with DFS. What about teaching? So you're, I mentioned that I think Ooh. that you're one of the best DFS teachers in the world. Thank uh, you. Partially that's because I think you just understand the subject matter really well, but you also seem to have a gift for it. Do you have any background, anything that helped you get to where you are as a teacher? Uh, not really. No, uh, I, not, nothing that I could think back to and think that I would be in that role. I, I never saw myself doing anything like this. It was never a medium that like I never craved. I, did, I didn't think that I could do content or videos or talk about sports or anything like this. I never saw any of this coming whatsoever. So yeah, no, no background in, in any sort of teaching. Uh, I mean, I guess I started doing a little bit more I guess we'd call it teaching, but like training at my previous job, uh, a lot of that yeah. was honestly like Excel based where we were just trying to get, we, we used Excel for basically everything that we were doing to present some of our data. So like more people just had to learn their way around certain Excel files. So that helped me out to a degree. I started hosting a weekly office hours while I was at my previous job where we would have like 30 minutes to an hour of just questions and examples. So that's probably where it all sort of started, but yeah, no like formal background in teaching, not even close. Okay. And you say that you didn't have any idea. You weren't planning on this at all. What about in, so you, I, in your interview with Jordan, you mentioned that you started sharing your projections for DFS as early as 2014. So that was, yeah. that was when you kind of started being uh, on Reddit. I, I missed that whole phase. I was, I was playing DFS at the time, started in 2013, but I was not aware of the DFS Reddit culture, which apparently was a pretty strong culture that you were pretty involved with. Um, we yeah. got a listener question. Somebody asked, how did you go from Reddit poster to quitting your day job and getting to where you are now? Uh, and that's, I mean, it's, yeah. Just, just tell me about that, I guess. I'll yeah, so I don't, I can't, uh, I can't really remember how I ended up in the subreddit. Like, I just, I have no recollection of that starting. I guess I could probably go back and look at some of my posts and see what they looked like, but I, I don't know how it started. I just know that I ended up in it. Um, and it all came about from, I, I needed basketball projections. And I was just like, I should be able to do this on my own. And I had, I had no background in like database management. Like I didn't know SQL or anything like that. I knew how to manipulate data in Excel and that was about it. So I hunted down someone on Fiverr. I got a scraper made to get data from basketball reference. And I just sort of like taught myself how to make my projections. I completely stole the baseline from it, from basketball reference. They've got a simple projection system. It is basically the basketball equivalent of Tango Tigers, Marcel projections, very, very ge generic projections based on the previous three years. You know, you're waiting the most recent year a little bit more than the second most recent year than the third most recent year, but that was just bare bones. But they had one example and they still have that same example to this day on basketball reference where it details out like projecting Dwight Howard's rebound rate for whatever year it was like 12 years ago. So I recreated that example until I could get it right and then just applied it to everything else. And I was like, okay, cool. Now I have my own basketball projections. What should I do with that? And I posted them in, I guess it was probably like a Google sheet or it could have even just been my Excel workbook at the time. Just like, Hey, I have these. If people want them free projections, enjoy it. And people took a pretty good liking to them. And I did that off and on for, 
probably two years. It was certainly a secondary thing in my life. Like if I wasn't going to play that night, I wasn't prepping it or doing anything. I had my normal day-to-day job. I was in the midst of getting married at the time. So like if I didn't have time, I just didn't have time. I would go weeks without doing it. So it was, it was spotty in that first probably year and a half to two years. Like I remember I wasn't even doing projections for DraftKings. I only set it up to give out FanDuel, which clearly is not like a big change or anything. But the big reveal was going to be when I got back from my honeymoon in Jamaica, DraftKings was going to start. And I remember that being like an actual buildup in like late 2014. That's really funny. And so so at that time, were there even optimizers that you could use or were you using those projections then hand building? There was a little known optimizer called Fantasy Cruncher that was sort of just making its way. Uh, it was free at the time, the way that I remember it. I've actually went back and looked at, I've got messages with Dave from FC uh, as late as like late 2013, early 2014, where he's starting to work on this. So I have actually been using Fantasy Cruncher for the most part since it started. Uh, that was sort of when I started getting into it. And I had no idea what I was doing and what those outputs really meant at the time. In comparison to now, I... I, I I would guess that I would go back and it would be an embarrassment to explaining things that were in Fantasy Cruncher. But I've actually, I've been using Fantasy Cruncher basically since it started. And the moment that it ever went to a paid model, I was already but long since a part of it all. Let me take a quick break from this conversation with Josh to tell you about our sponsor, NoHost Advantage. NoHost Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to help level the playing field with over 500 player props offered. NOS Advantage offers all new users a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESEMO, that's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. It has mass entry capability and big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our NOS Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the App Store or play on nohouseadvantage.com. So you were, you were doing your own projections uh, as early as 2014. Now, obviously, there are public projections all over the place, easy to get. Was it a huge advantage at that time? Like, were you just winning, like, nightly because you had your own projections or or at least, like, you know, profiting week to week kind of thing? Like, now, even, you know, the best players in the world can't expect to profit week to week. Was it different back then or was it still more kind of, were there, were there still pretty big swings even though you had these projections that weren't publicly available other than where you posted them? Still pretty big swings. News was harder to corral back then. So you could just be off. Like it was, it was easier to be off significantly from a minute's perspective. And I wasn't paying nearly as much attention then as I am now to rotations and coaching tendencies. That was probably one of the bigger leaks that I had. It was great that I was able to create my own data and I didn't have to rely on anybody else. It was just readily available for me. But I wasn't as active in the minutes, tweaks, updates, paying attention to late news, dealing with late news. Like I wasn't playing as aggressively as I should have been. I wasn't losing money by any means. It was it was a relatively it was a much simpler endeavor at that point in time I, than yeah. it is right now. But I, I did not it. I didn't take advantage of it nearly as much as I should have, given what I was given what I had that I'd like to think most people didn't have at that moment. Yeah. It it's a regret. Like that's, that's probably it. So so we've gotten to this is how so you you've you've gotten to the part where you start making your own projections, you're posting them on Reddit for other people to see. How yeah. does that then lead to a job at Awesome? I mean, we're, <laughs> fill in that gap because that's kind of, seems like a big gap. I mean, we're, we're, was everybody on this Reddit? Was Alex on this Reddit and he just saw your work every day? Or how do we get from there to 
now you're working at Osmo full time. This actually just happened. It, the, the anniversary of this was basically like a week or two ago. I think I talked about it a, a little bit on the process show, uh, Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. Eastern time, everybody. Um, I switched jobs. I left uh, a job that I was at for a couple years and went to work at a university in town, University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And I hated it. And I realized while I was there and that I hated it, that I didn't want to like always I got, like the cubicle life was really starting to to zap my energy and my like zest for doing anything at all and it was at that time where I started watching a lot of YouTube videos and in particular football manager it's a soccer simulation game on the computer I started watching uh, a guy play football manager but he was on a green screen and he overlaid himself over top of it so I started watching these gaming shows and videos and I was just like hmm it would be really interesting if I could overlay myself on top of my workbook and then talk about games like this. Like that seems like a piece of content that doesn't seem to be existing all that much right now. So I had no background in it. I didn't know, I don't know anything about sound or audio or video. I've never done anything like this. I've never talked on a video in my life at that point, other than, you know, if somebody had a camera at like a birthday party or something. So I bought it all. I bought, a, I bought everything that I could find. I bought myself a microphone. I bought myself a camera. I bought myself a green screen and hung that from my wall in my office. And I just said, one day I'm going to do a video. And I did it. I went, I went live. I posted the link on Reddit. Like 10 people watched. I thought that was the coolest thing in the history of the world. And then it just started to snowball a little bit. I would do one in the morning. I would do one at night. 10 went to 20, 20 went to 30, 30 went to 50. I can still picture coming downstairs and telling my wife that I got 100 live concurrent viewers, which was mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Obviously, it looks a little bit different now when we're getting like 3,800 to 4K on a, right. on a deeper dive live before lockdown. But for me, that was just crazy. So that started at the beginning of the 2017 NBA season. And at this point... So at this point, you're doing it with your mind toward maybe I could do this professionally because you didn't like your job. You started doing this. No? Not really. Okay. No, I don't. Just for the fun. To of me, it. it was a, to me it was a hobby. I okay. never saw. I never thought that I could get paid enough money for that to be my job. I was just like, no, I have a I have a day job. I have insurance. I have a four hundred one k. I have a wife that expects me to have those things. Like to me. I did not start that thinking this is going to be a future career path for me. I had no concept that that was going to happen. So I did that from like October, whenever the season started. So, you know, mid-October through, it would have been like the beginning of February. And at that time, awesomemo.com starts. Now I'll be honest, like I didn't, I don't pay to, I didn't pay all that much attention to Roto Grinders rankings or anything like that. I didn't really know who Alex was. I didn't know who Osimo was. I didn't know who Tom was at the time. To me, at that point in time, the guy that I paid most attention to when I was playing DFS was Condia. That was oh, yeah. like the immediate, the, the <laughs> guy that I, uh, I would take like a $1 head to head because I wanted to immediately be able to see what lineup that he was playing in that particular, like that, that was just the easiest thing for me. So th like, that was what I knew of it, but I didn't, I wasn't like, I didn't read other content. I didn't go read articles. I wasn't watching any other videos. I wasn't subscribed to any other sites. I, I was just like on my own in the ether, living in sort of like a Reddit bubble. Awesomeo.com puts out a call for content. Within an hour, I, and I am, by the way, in my cubicle, 
at my office. I answer that email with my resume and like a cover letter, just saying, you know, what I've been doing, the content that I've been creating, the growth that my channel has had via no publicity whatsoever other than posting it on Reddit. I was just like, I think I'd be pretty good for, you know, if you guys needed some video content or whatever. And they were looking at it a little bit differently than I would have been looking at it. I didn't have the same, like my time schedule was not going to line up to what Alex and Tom were originally looking at. And they were like, well, what if it were full time? I was just like, well, you know, what's the pay? <laughs> because yeah, right. That's really like the determining factor here. And we ended up having a quick conversation, like a couple days after sending out that email, I was the first person to email in. I was the first person that like had based on that content call, I was the first person that they got anything back from. It was immediate. Wow. Um, and they were like, well, we can do X salary. And I was just like, okay, well, can we do anything on the back end then as well? Where like, I can almost be made whole if this goes as well as we want it to. And the answer was yes. So when I accepted the job, we had basically agreed to terms where if everything went according to plan for the first year, I would make the exact same amount of money that I did at the job that I had previously. And that worked out perfectly to me. So it, after like two days of negotiating, I talked to my wife. I was like, hey, like this is a risk sort of, but it's also awesome. <laughs> so I would like to try that if I can. And to her credit, she was just like, yeah, do it. If that's going to make you happy, do it. I quit my job within a week of originally reaching out, I had turned in my notice at my job and I was done two weeks later and I haven't looked back. Wow. That's a, uh, that's pretty lucky for both sides. Cause you guys, obviously it's a great fit. You at awesome. Oh, uh, I think, you know, yeah. you do great work for them. So they appreciate Thank you. And obviously you are working for awesome. Oh, probably the fastest growing company in the industry. So, yeah. uh, and, and you both took pretty big risks on each other. Cause you know, they, they had been able to see probably some of the videos that you would put out. So they kind of knew what they're getting from you, but you didn't know anything about the company. It was a brand new no. company. So you both took risks and it worked out. So that's a, uh, Pretty, pretty awesome story. Between aging and busy lifestyles, many women struggle with maintaining their physical and mental wellness. At Aquavita Concierge Healthcare Services for Women, we can help you revitalize your health and reclaim your life. We start from within by balancing your hormones, allowing your body to achieve and maintain desired weight goals. We also specialize in peptide therapies, regenerative medicine, sexual health, and aesthetics in our state-of-the-art facilities. Feel better, look better, live better. At Aquavita, visit aquavitality.com and be Begin your journey today. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. It, it did. It could not have worked out any better. I'd like to think for both sides, um, you know, uh, we were able to just get started. It was basically me, Spags, and Jake uh, doing everything that we could right out of the gate before we originally um, acquired FanVice. But yeah, it's I, it, it just was perfect. I, I never thought, I've never done anything like this. And to turn that from starting in October to February, growing a channel enough that another company was willing to take that shot to the point that I could quit my job, I couldn't have dreamed that that could happen. To see it now, four years later, is 
mind-blowing. What we're doing now, like this show in general, the production of it all, even just like the overlays and stuff that we have. Videos in 2018, whether it was at Osimo or anybody else, were garbage. Just absolute visual garbage. They looked terrible. Everything that I put out looked terrible. Our overlays weren't great. I was creating some of them. I don't have a graphics background. I should not have been doing that. That was just how it had to happen at the time. We I can't just imagine how bad it put was it out. I tried doing that. And we just put out content and that how, worked. How big was the company at that time? When you started, how many employees about were there, do you think? Not, I don't know, eight, nine. Okay. Uh, so bigger, Eddie, bigger Eddie than Alex, thought. Tom, Spags, me, Jake. That's six. I mean, that w- uh, I might be missing one or two off the top of my head. And if I am, I apologize. But like that for the first two, three months, like it was very, very, very minimal. And Jordan Frank came in. Uh, and then once fan vice happened, then we got Ben, uh, we got Adam, we got Laffy, we got Emac, uh, Eddie came over for basketball. And that's when it started to like fill out and become a company. I don't, I don't really remember when Nolan came on, but I want to say it was somewhere around that time as well. Um, but yeah, right out of the gate, I mean, everybody just did everything. Like we didn't have time to figure out roles. Like your job was just do all of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. And now, now it's a pretty giant company. I don't think people realize quite the the size of Osimo and no. how much stuff is going on behind the scenes and how big the company really is. It was like, I, I had some idea, like by the time I kind of got involved, I knew it was bigger than just like, when I first started, I thought it was like you, Adam, Laffy, and Alex. <laughs> like, yeah. That was my impression of the company. It's like, oh, that's what Osimo is. Just these guys that I see on the stream all the time. By the time I actually like started getting involved a little bit i knew it was a bigger company than that but it's still like i still when i came in i was like oh my god this is a bigger operation than i even realized at that point uh and now i i'm doing this show and like just like the the turnaround of the graphics on this show and how impressive all of the work and you know they have specialized people doing this stuff instead of trying to have you and me doing graphics it's a pretty impressive company at this point so the amount of people that work on the back end here people would have no idea there are so many people i have no idea who even works here any longer it's like they, it's, right. there's a, there's a, the, the backend developers, uh, graphics, audio, visual, like we have the amount, like everybody sees the, the on-air content. And like you were just saying, that, that's probably the assumption. It's so much bigger on the backend than any of the on-air content is. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's an impressive company. Um, let's, let's move into talking about play a little bit. Cause I got sure. several listener questions, uh, for you, which sort of surprised me. I kind of thought when I put out the question, I was like, Josh does so much content all the time. Are people even going to have questions for him? Cause they can just, you're so accessible that people can ask you questions all the time. I was surprised sure. though, still had many, many questions. So let's, let's get to some of those and start, and then start talking some process. So a let's question that I got, uh, from a listener, uh, do you only play 150 max, 20 max single entries? Uh, do you play the millies when available? How much? Let's start there. What, what kind yeah. of contests do you typically seek out? Generally speaking, and it's going to be a little bit sport dependent, but I, I talked about this a little bit on Blender's show. Uh, the long and short of it really is that I don't play nearly as much as people think, and I don't really enjoy playing DFS. <laughs> And that's, that's the yep. part that people are probably like baffled by. I love nerding out in an Excel sheet and I love the preparation way more than I like actually playing a contest. Like it's, <laughs> it's just not all that interesting to me and never has been. And I know that just sounds kind of crazy, but more often than not now, particularly in ba- basketball is just 150. Like I, I, I don't, I don't really mess around with too much else. Like if I'm playing more than that, like 
I'm playing 150 at a minimum. There may be single entry contests. Do you, you typically only play FanDuel? I know you play more FanDuel than DraftKings, but for NBA, is it basically only FanDuel? It sort of just depends on what the buy-in structure of the two, like, j- more often than not, I'm getting into whatever the 100K to first contests are, whether that's FanDuel or DraftKings. DraftKings is the same basically every day. FanDuel right. jerks that one around from 18 bucks down to 4 bucks, depending on the day. So there are times where I'll just play the DraftKings one and then... But more often than not, it's just Fandle. I usually, like, a lot of the times, if I have content going on, I'm trying to play a little bit less. Uh, Back in the day, I used to just play and be on the stream, and that was fine. But our streams have become so much better now. I really don't enjoy playing all that much on a day that I have to be live. It's a really difficult thing to deal with, especially if I'm the host of the show, where you kind of got to steer the ship a little bit. That's It's just really not fun. And without question it is worse on my play and a money loser for me to be live and playing in a large field contest. So more often than not, for NBA, 150 max, without question, whatever whatever contest is paying out 100K, that is the one that I'm going to be in for sure. If there are assorted 20 max or single entries or whatever, that's fine. I basically never play a milli. Uh, I, I don't even throw like a cursory lineup into it. It's just not something that I'm doing. I just I don't really enjoy having all that much out there. I, I like a 150 and done. I just want to be a part of that particular slate for that particular day. I was going to go find your uh, your quote from Blender because I had written it down what you said. I don't actually, but, but you basically just said it again that you don't actually enjoy playing DFS. You just like being a nerd in the spreadsheets, which yeah. is pretty funny. But I mean, you, you also you don't even do that. You don't even sweat. Like you don't even watch the contests nope. as they're live. Whereas no. guys like me, Blender, I think I think most people who play. At, you know, high volume are typically watching tracking all night because that's that's the fun of it, right? You put in all this work for me. That's like part of the fun of it, but you don't even enjoy that. Now I just wake up to it. Whatever I whatever has happened, whether I won or lost, I just find that out at like five thirty in the morning when I open my phone. I have no idea at all what happens on the the days that I've won. I, I that's just news that I wake up to every single time. I've never had an experience where I saw it happen. Not yeah. once. Not ba- it's baseball funny you wins. See, it's like all the, the next the Slack chat or the uh, I guess Discord now. People will be talking about your sweats and you're not there. Like so, sometimes later no. I'll be like, Constantly. "Oh, Josh is in first. Can you hold it?" And like t- talking about whether you're going to be able to hold the sweat. And I'm like, "Josh isn't even going to be aware of this tomorrow because he's oh. he's not he's asleep." Those right are now. the worst days. Yeah, Those right. are the worst days because I'll you wake see up it the next morning. Yeah, I'll wake up and I'll have tweets like, "Yo, I hope it holds," and it's twelve oh seven a.m. And then I look and I finished 27th and I lost money for the contest, but I was sitting in first for 100K all the way up until like 1230 at night. So I have to, what, what's actually worse is that I live it in reverse. I wake up and then get told how I had a sweat and how I didn't hold it. Yeah, it's, it's it sounds awful. awful to me. I would hate that. It, it is not fun. I mean, a couple of times right out of the gate this season, I was holding first place at in and around midnight Woke up to, you know, 15 Discord tags, six or seven messages on Twitter, and I didn't even profit for that contest. No, that's that's awful. Is that for NBA? Yeah. Wow. That I mean, you see that in NFL all the time, but NBA, that's uh, you don't see it that often where you go from like winning a contest to not profiting at the last minute. It's a lot less likely in NBA. Yeah, like you just you know that stray bullet gets up there and you need that one to hold, but the difference yeah. between. 100k and 10k is 
right. three spots. <laughs> yeah, especially on, on a short slate, I guess it's going to happen with like one three-pointer from a guy you don't have yeah. and everybody else has, he'll set you back a lot. So yeah, yeah I, I, guess I had gonna... Andrew Wiggins hit two garbage threes from 30 feet uh, to take me out of first once in like a completely meaningless scenario, just kept heaving and both of them went in. If they don't go in, it's it's completely different. I had, a, I had a sweat this year where I was winning 50K on the night slate. So it was a two-game slate. Uh, the Lakers were down 13, and they allowed, I think it was the Suns, to just run out the clock. So it was like they had accepted defeat. They allowed the Suns to run out the clock. There's like four seconds left. Uh, Westbrook passes it to Carmelo Anthony to shoot a long three at the buzzer, just a meaningless three, and it knocked me down from like 50K to 5K or 3K oh, or something. It's miserable. So, yeah, that, that's the worst when it's like there's no point in this, when it's like this is a completely meaningless game going on right now uh anyway that's beside the point uh yeah. i am curious so I, we were transitioning into your dfs play but now uh yeah. you brought up uh not playing as much on when you're doing content late yeah and it just uh brought me back i have some questions about that about the balance of content versus play so do you do you play at all when you do live before lock like do you, I do you still play okay i do i i usually tell myself that i'm not going to or that i'll just like enter a bit like a single lineup in a, in a high dollar single entry type contest just to have something to pay attention to. And then inevitably uh, I get that gambling itch and will register for whatever contest that I shouldn't be in. Um, it's not ideal. I still play because I feel, I don't want to say that it feels disingenuous to do content and not play, but there is like a, there's a slight amount of that that I yeah, feel. I think it's, I think that's reasonable. You talked about that with Blender that a lot of people will say like, if, if a tout doesn't have any skin in the game, how can you trust that tout? So I think, yeah. is that kind of what you're getting at? It's just, yeah. And I'd like, and I'd like to think that I play enough that there are going to be days where I don't. And then it, like, I don't feel as bad. It's not as if that information is not out there. It's not as if I'm not willing to share all of that information as well. So I don't feel as bad about it as probably some people could be, just because of the way that I sort of present the data that I have. But yeah, I just, I, I feel an obligation to play if I'm going to be talking about it, at least generally speaking. There are going to be days where I'm going to have to talk about it because it's my job. And I know that I cannot play because I have plans or whatever that night. And I'm not going to just jam it in because I have to. But I think that I've, I've done enough content at this point and people know that I'm playing that I think you have to just kind of assume that, I, I can tell you what I'm going to do no matter right. what, whether, whether it gets entered into that contest or not. I know my process. I can do it blindly and tell you my exposures to a T of exactly what it would have been if I entered this. I just right. happen to have to go to dinner later tonight, and I don't have time to late swap. So that's yeah. usually the situation. When I'm not playing, it's either a day where I'm just completely off, like a Saturday – I don't play Saturday slates of anything ever because that's just my day off here. But okay. if I'm doing content Monday through Friday and I don't have a like a prerequisite to cook dinner with the wife or plans or whatever it is, then I'm going to be playing a contest. Okay. And if you're for me, I always I, I've I've never skipped a contest on the day when I'm doing content, and partially that's because I prepare so much more to do the content that I'm like I don't want to waste all this and not yeah. put any money on it. Sure. So, no, I get that. Yeah. Uh, you also, you mentioned on Blender show that you don't really enjoy doing other content as much as NBA, like baseball yeah. content, you don't enjoy as much as NBA, which sort of surprised me in a way. I guess it makes sense for you because you love nerding out in the spreadsheets. Uh, 
I, so I have not done any NBA content. I've talked about it a little bit. Uh, Nolan at one point asked me if maybe I could do some live before locks. And I thought about it. I was like, cause I really, I wanted to do content. I wanted to do content. Yeah. And then I was like, well, there's no way I could do it while I'm playing. Like I just, it's so intense at the end. I, I think that I would just get, I'd be live on air and I'd just be like completely tied up in my screen. Uh, so wouldn't even try that. But then even beyond that, when I think about doing NBA content, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm qualified. Like it, it seems like it is. There's so much more work that goes into it. Like it, there, you need to do so much more on the back end and like figuring out rotations, and you need to be able to react quickly to all of the news as it comes out. So for me, I'm like, well, did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan. But you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. You, you say that I'm qualified, but I get a lot of that from you guys. So like I, I'm listening okay. to you guys and you're telling me what to do. So, so it's like, I don't know that I have the back-end skills to figure out exactly like when news breaks okay what does this mean for the rotation like i i don't do that on my own i listen to you guys to tell me what to do in those scenarios and obviously having the projections change helps too so i can yeah. i can obviously just refresh and get the new projections and that does a lot of the work for me but do you, do you find that nba is a lot more work is it the most challenging of sports to tout for yes and no um, it, it's definitely the one where, like you can't fly blind in the NBA. If you're, you know, if you want to go to awesome.com and download the projections, someone's flying that plane for you, right. but someone needs to be doing that. You have to have some sort of cursory knowledge of what's going on in the NBA to be able to react to the news. It's not like baseball where it doesn't matter if someone gets late scratch, someone's still hitting third, no matter what you're just updating the order it is what it is when it comes to that regard. Even for football to a degree, like someone is stepping up into that role. But for the NBA, if you know that you're going to get a $3,500 player that is going from the backup point guard role at 16 minutes to the starting point guard role now at 32 minutes, that is massive. And knowing that he's going to get that rotation or even thinking, is this guy going to close? Is he going to play 26 minutes with the potential to close and pick up an extra four to eight minutes in the end of the fourth quarter. That stuff is massive in the NBA. And I don't feel like that sort of exists the same. Like it certainly doesn't exist in PGA or MMA. There is no, there's no, there's no mechanism for that. So the NBA is definitely the one where if you're trying to do a lot of work, you need that information. You need that baseline or you are going to get left behind, especially now that everybody else still has it. And there are so many sources that are fully up to date. If you're trying to do stuff on your own and you're not willing to put that time in, it is going to be a failure for you in the NBA. In MLB, you can half-ass it. Yeah. And, and so for NBA, I feel like, uh, yes, I can make those adjustments on my own, but I feel like to be able to do it you know, in, in a split second, to be able to know you know, how something affects the rotation when you learn that a player is out at the last minute, because that can be really important because sometimes you learn with, you know, three minutes before lock that a player is out. And I'm like, I get that by refreshing, by refreshing the, uh, the projections that are done yeah. for me. Uh, whereas like 
you and, and guys like you on the show typically are putting in a little bit more of that work and kind of, I mean, you, you, you've also done it long enough. So I, when I say, I don't think I'm qualified, I mean, I don't think that I'm qualified to do it immediately. Obviously right. I could get there, there but there, there would be a learning curve. Whereas I feel like, you know, you've been doing it so long that you kind of know exactly like you've yeah. looked at the rotations enough that you have an idea of how things are going to change when that news kind of comes out. So that's uh seems like a pretty big edge to kind of have that experience and know what's going on to be on top of it all the time. Yeah, the experience piece of it is is massive. Just being able to, I mean, at this point, I could probably rip off the 12, like the first 12 guys of every rotation for every end for, for about every NBA team. Like it'll get squirrely when guys start getting out and we're like we're talking about the magic or something. But that's that information just has to exist in my head. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing the way that I do it. Yeah. And you show people exactly what you're doing, too. When you yeah. on the process show in the morning, uh, I was just watching it yesterday, and you were doing exactly that. You are projecting out the rotations and taking minutes from here and giving them there and kind of showing exactly what you're doing. So yeah, um, that's, I think the people should really check that out. I feel like the, the process show is something that I admittedly don't watch every day just because I'm going to watch you guys on – the deeper dive and lie before lock every day. And that's kind of sure. where I get most of my content and uh, things change so much that I've sort of stopped watching the morning shows. But whenever I do watch, I'm like, I should still watch this. Cause I, I still feel like there's stuff that I can learn, even if it's not, some of it's not going to be relevant later in the day as news comes out, but there's still so much people can learn from watching that kind of show and watching your process. Yeah. It's to me, that's not a show that you watch for, to find out the picks, you know, it's right. six 30 in the morning. Uh, the slate's not going to look like that, you know, a 10 game slate is going to change dramatically from the time I record that show. But in terms of sort of getting a feel for the slate, understanding who's in and who's out the impacts of rotations, it's much more of a show for people that are just trying to either like increase their knowledge of NBA DFS or increase their not in, in a way, increase their knowledge of Excel. Like those are the two biggest features there. It's not a picks show. Even the NBA strategy show is more of an entertainment product. I think the deeper dive at this point is sort of the gold standard for uh, NBA DFS content. It's the time where we got the most information available now. We are giving out actionable information, the things that we really think are going to be applicable for that final two-hour stretch. I think that's the show that carries the most weight. And then Live Before Lock, particularly on a slate like today where it's a 10-gamer, spoiler alert, we're talking on a Friday. I don't know if that matters or not for right now. I know I definitely whiffed on that one for Blender, but uh, Live Before Lock is great for that reactionary stuff. The deeper dive, to me, is the, the single best piece of content that we put out as a show in terms of timing and information. Yep. Yep. I think I agree with you there. Um, so you, you brought up that you, you can kind of learn your Excel process. So I'm going to skip ahead to a listener question for a second. Uh, sure. A listener sent in, do you have any re recommendations on how to learn Excel? I have watched the process show nearly every day and would like to build my own NBA model and branch into NFL, but I am a deer in the headlights on where to start. Some of those tables are just nuts. Uh, do you have any recommendations there? I wish I did. The problem with all of this is that I've been using Excel as long as I can remember. We're talking, okay. I re, uh, me and a buddy of mine would play a game called, it was fast break baseball. It was also or fast break, fast break basketball. It was also season ticket basketball. Um, and we created this big Excel sheet to 
like create this contest against each other where, you know, if we had a guy that made all NBA, it was worth X amount of points. So we, we were building this out in like 2003, 2004. And I have sort of just always been in Excel for that. I used to be a bigger baseball fan than I was a basketball fan. And the sabermetric revolution for baseball, obviously long before uh, basketball became that sort of thing. So I was nerding out into baseball data really, really, really early and trying to do my own baseball projections for my own fantasy baseball leagues and stuff. So it's hard for me to push anybody towards any sort of like Excel-based knowledge because I've been hands-on doing it for 18 years now, maybe even a little bit longer. YouTube tutorials are going to be plentiful. I'm quite confident there are multiple like actual courses that you can find out there that are just by default the places that you should go. I don't have a specific recommendation. If you search for ex Microsoft Excel courses, uh, you're going to find a, a trove of things to do on YouTube. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. I feel like Excel is one of those things that, and I'm also not very good at Excel, so I can relate to this guy. Uh, but I feel like it's one of those things that if you need, if you want information, just search it on Google. Whenever I do need to do something, I have to figure out how to do something. I just search it on Google, and there's usually, you know, YouTube links or something to to show me exactly what I need. So uh, sometimes it can be hard to know what you need to search. So I understand yeah. the wanting, like a just like a course to show you step by step, because you know you don't always know exactly what you're looking for. Sometimes just seeing that kind of thing helps. But uh, yeah, that makes sense that you just you have enough experience that you haven't needed to use any of the kind of newer stuff. Exactly. Um, so uh, I asked you the first part of this listener question. I guess I'll ask you the rest. How much did you put at stake when first entering into DFS and how much do you put at stake now if, if you want to answer that question? Um, yeah, sure. It sounds like it varies for you quite a bit. It does. Um, but back in the day, it was just like sort of any extra money that I had, I'd be willing to just put it into FanDuel or DraftKings or Draft Street or Draft Day or whatever other nonsense sites I was playing at the time. Uh, it was never a, a high volume back in the day. I didn't have it to begin with. I didn't, like like I said before, I wasn't comfortable even putting it out there, even if I did think that, like, even if I was, when I was, or even in profit, I still don't like the feeling of having my money out there and being in contests. It's never been something that I've enjoyed to begin with. So it was always relatively low stakes, relatively minimal stuff out of the gate. Now it's sort of just like whatever it takes to 150 max that 100K contest. So like on FanDuel, it's, you know, somewhere in the 800 to $1,200 a night range, whatever, whatever that happens to end up being upwards of, I don't know, 1500 to 2k, depending yeah. on if that gets up into like the 15 to $20 uh, entry range, but something in that neighborhood for basketball is, uh, is about what I'm doing less. So if I'm just, you know, throwing in random stuff into MMA or PGA, like I'm just, I'm not, I'm not as dedicated. That's just a, something to check on the weekend and scratch right. the itch when I'm not around type stuff. But basketball in general, about 2K a night. I, I don't have the want for much more volume. I mean, I guess, you know, if I randomly binked a milli or something, I would probably increase my volume a bit. Yep. I just prefer at this point to spend my money on dumb stuff in and around my house. Yeah. And you never will randomly bink a milli because you don't play the milli. I don't. So, so I would have to get a parts. ticket for it, basically. Okay. Or yeah, or see, sense. like, an aggressive amount of overlay or something along those lines where I'll just be like, okay. Or, you know, you get that pop-up offer from DraftKings or FanDuel where it's like, if you put in this amount of entries into the milli, you know, we'll give you blah, blah, blah. Yep. Every once in a while, I'll still do those things because I understand that that's probably worth it. But, yep. yeah, for me, it's – I don't have a good feeling about having my money out there. It's really weird. <laughs> 
that's funny. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I mean, nobody loves to have their money out there at risk, but uh, I think that I have less qualms about it than you do, I guess, just because, you know, it's just uh, part of part of the bankroll, I guess. Uh, I take it you don't play cash. I play cash during showdowns. Interesting. Okay. Don't ask. It seems like it'd be the most volatile. That seems seems like an interesting decision. I feel like showdown in particular is like it's so random that I would be less inclined to play cash. But maybe I'm totally off base. So in my experience, I've seen a lot of people making very, very obvious cash mistakes in showdown contests, and I felt like that was just easy enough to like it didn't it didn't add any work to me to figure out what my showdown cash lineup is. Like that's a just a very quick little crunch of, I don't know, the top 30 lineups I have with no randomness and full exposure caps. I'm going to find whatever it is that I think is the optimal cash lineup at that point. And I would just see over and over again, people being like wildly off that mark, not even just like, Oh, I I wonder how that person got there. Like just very clearly incorrect play. Uh, So I just started registering head to heads and 50 fifties and double ups that basically all started. What? bubble I, I guess it, yeah it would have been the bubble showdowns for the nba yeah. for playoffs um so you're talking nba i was gonna ask what yeah, yeah. sports you okay. nfl too uh, i have okay. no problem doing it for nfl as well but uh in terms of like an nba day like on a random tuesday now nah, i'm not playing in the nba cash <laughs> interesting probably, probably should like like in the grand scheme of things i probably should be doing that kind of stuff i, I think that there's something there but i don't know it's never been something I've never really cared. I should care more about like grinding out that small profit. I just don't care though. To I mean, now it's just like, if I'm not hitting, if it's not a 50 K or more payday, like I just don't care any longer. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, th- I think that's true of a lot of top players. Just like, I don't know what's the, sure. I could grind out cash and probably be profitable at it long-term, but it's just such a grind. Like with, and with yeah. rake, you just, it takes so much. You have to put so much money in play in cash uh, to be yeah. able to make, you know, meaningful money. So for me, I, I also find it's not worth it. Um, yeah. So you I'd, r- that I'd rather buy a random NFT for a thousand dollars. Same page pic- there. Same page yeah, there. It's a Thank picture you. of a leaf. Blender won't talk to me about NFTs. So we, we should talk NFTs later. Uh, Cause yeah, I'll, I'll happily spend some of that money on NFTs. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Sometimes during Christmas, something magical happens. Hey, Cricket customers. The Max with Ads plan is included with the Cricket $60 Unlimited plan at no additional cost. And this holiday season, Max is the one to watch when you're feeling festive. Son of a nutcracker. Cozy up to all the holiday classics like Elf, 8-Bit Christmas, and the Harry Potter 8 film collection. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. 
Phone plans, streams, and standard definition programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See CricketWireless.com for details. Uh, you mentioned that you, um, you you see people making mistakes in cash. I'm curious, in general, how much time you spend studying other players. And in general, you know, studying pros or studying casual players, how much time do you spend looking at what other people are doing? It used to be a lot more. Uh, it's become a lot uh, less as of late now that I do a bit more content and just sort of am happier to not be at my desk as much as I was before. Um, but diving into stuff like lineup study or back in the day, you know, creating my own sort of version of lineup study to look at DraftKings CSVs. I got, I was fascinated with, you know, how often people were ending up in the top 1% of lineups, uh, the difference in ownership between 150 maxers and non 150 maxers in contests, uh, the way that different people would have player pool sizes where you would see pros with massive player pools for a day. You would see pros with basically no player pool, you know, as concentrated as it gets and trying to figure out sort of where I landed in the spectrum of the logic of what these guys were doing, because you were, there was clearly more than one way to skin a cat given the names that I was seeing on opposite ends of that spectrum. So dialing in where I actually agreed with, that was probably the biggest thing that I did when it came to looking through lineup study. I really wish that FanDuel would just allow the CSVs so that we had the FanDuel side of it, because um, I would love to dig in a little bit more. But you, you can get the same sort of vibe from just looking at DraftKings. It's it's not, it's going to be different for like for me personally, for how much I play on FanDuel. Like I obviously can't just look at the FanDuel stuff, but it's not like, the style of play on DraftKings just completely is different than it is on FanDuel. Maybe right. when FanDuel was dropping the lowest score for that season where you're like, you're just not going to get the same sort of vibe, but you're getting the same sort of gist of it. So I just use DK as the proxy for that. But looking at player pool sizes and how that affects the construction of lineups, that was the piece that I probably dug into the most. Yeah. And you, you've done plenty of shows doing that as well on yeah. like Monday morning after NFL. It's you know, you've done shows where that's what the show is about is looking yeah. at the previous night's lineup. So I guess that's similar to the process, kind of something that you might be doing anyway and just doing right. it live for other people to follow along. Yeah, it seems I, helpful. Li lineup study coming out was just massive. Having all of that data there. I mean, I, like obviously RG has the, I don't even know what they call it, the results dashboard or whatever it was where you can sort of do the exact same stuff. I found, I always found it a little bit clunkier and more difficult yeah. to use and certainly a little bit less information, but just being able to see all that stuff at a moment's notice to pick out five to 10 pros and see all of their exposure, see, Oh, everybody was over on this guy. And like the right. 150 max exposure is massively higher than it was to not like, what was the, something had to be a trigger there for all of these people to concentrate on this guy. Why didn't I see it? Or why did I see it as well? Why, why did everybody else miss it? Those are the questions where I, I want, it wasn't ever about figuring out the plays. It was figuring out why people were making those sorts of decisions. And that's, okay. that's bigger than everything else. People think it matters. Yeah. Oh, who do you want in beat or Jokic tonight? Yeah. I was like, if you have to ask that question, you're probably not like winning long-term. Right. You're not looking at projections. You're not looking at tools and things that'll help you make that decision. Yeah, that, that's not a, like that, that's a good example of the two guys too. Like, there's no as long as pricing is sort of correct on those guys. That, that's a coin flip answer generally oh, right. for those two specifically. It's like, yeah, they both have high ceilings, relatively high floors. Yeah, they're yeah. very similar plays night to night in general. Yeah, like if if that's a question where you're you're wondering, we're, we're talking about like fifty five forty five 
in either direction at best. Those are not questions. My answer is meaningless. So we had, we actually had someone uh, respond to a video yesterday. Like I had mentioned that I was getting to a ton of Embiid and not Jokic on last night's slate. And then uh, Eric had mentioned that he was going to get to a ton of Jokic and not as much Embiid. And somebody was like, well, one video is saying this, one video is saying that. Josh thinks it's clearly Embiid. I was like, first of all, I don't think it's clearly Embiid. The way that those great guys were grayed out relative to each other and the way that they end up in my lineups are two completely different decision points. I think those guys are similar plays. That doesn't mean that I have similar exposures to them in the long run because their ownership matters. Uh, the lineup construction, the salaries then start to come into play. And I didn't really need, like I had other guys that pay down options where I kind of just ended up making a choice of it being in bead over Jokic. But if you're asking me like who I think is going to score more fantasy points relative to their salary, I don't know, man, that's a coin flip. Right. I mean, that that's where you look at projections and that's like, yeah, at the end of the day, that's just such a small part of making lineups is looking at just who projects better by a point. Like that's, yeah, it matters, but it doesn't matter as much as all the other factors in lineup construction and ownership and, you know, the relative salary and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. Yeah. yeah you take sense. a half minute away from one guy and give that 30 seconds to another guy. And all of a sudden you've closed that gap in point and no one is confident enough to hit a minute's projection by 30 seconds. No one thinks that a guy projected for 50 and a guy for projected for 49 aren't the exact same play. If you think they're different at that point in time, they're well within the error bars of any sort of logical projection system. Right. Well, so, so you're, you're very uh, transparent, I would say, with your process. Uh, at, you do a show called The Process Show in the morning. Uh, but let, let's dig into it for maybe people who, you know, don't watch that show or for people who do watch that show maybe sure. can learn something by asking some questions about your process. Um, so let's start here. Do you do any simulations or use simulations from outside sources? I do. Uh, if it's a sport that I'm not, like, super in-depth with, I'll go to Osmo.com and use them immediately. I built my own sim uh, for the NBA, and I have been using that for a couple of years. Um, sports like baseball are a little bit different because uh, players don't, or at least hitters, don't follow a normal distribution. Uh, that's, you know, what how singles and doubles and triples and homers. Like, you're sort of looking at it in a slightly different way. There are mechanisms around that, and you're going to be directionally accurate if you're still doing it in that way, but it needs to be handled a little bit different. But in the NBA in particular, the first thing that I wanted to do was learn how to build some sort of Monte Carlo sim in order to figure out optimal odds. Um, so I've been doing that for a couple of years. Uh, I think it's essential to have an idea. I don't necessarily think like clearly you can win without it, but it's a piece of data that I definitely want to know where I have all of these projections. I have every single player's standard deviations. I can simulate this thousands of times relatively quickly, find out exactly how frequently somebody shows up in an optimal lineup, find out how frequently, or find out what, that, what their average score is in that optimal lineup, figure out what that range is gonna be, how low can they go and still sneak in from time to time. That was the stuff that I wanted to see for the NBA. But like sports like MLB, NFL to a degree, a uh, little bit different just because of the distributions, but you can get pretty close. Uh, it's just a slightly different shape depending on the guy. But yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of any sort of simulations. Uh, I know a lot of people like scoff at it a little bit. Uh, it's like anything else in life. Uh, more data is never worse. 
Yeah, I, I, I've, I've never heard people scoff. Maybe I haven't been reading the YouTube comments oh. close enough. Yeah. You have no idea. That's something that people scoff at. Um, so, so you said that for some sports, you go straight to awesomemode.com to run simulations. Is that something that like is available publicly? Like, I didn't know that you could. Oh. No, no, no. I, I just meant like, uh, you know, for golf. Like, I'm not running a golf simulation. Okay. But we have, you know, top six golfers. You're reading the stuff top like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just okay. using our tools in that case. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Uh, but but in some sports, you're saying that you do do your own simulations. You're not just using yeah. the tools that tell you. You're you're actually running your yep. own full simulations. For NBA, I am running a full simulation independently of anything that's on the site using my personal projections and my personal standard deviations. Because for basketball, that's all you need. Uh, NBA projections are normally distributed. They are. It is very 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 easy to run simulations for the NBA. Okay. So. Uh, I was going to ask you about this because uh, I it was a little bit confusing to me because I know that you also use Fantasy Cruncher. So then am I correct in my understanding that for NBA, since you're running simulations, you're not using Fantasy Cruncher for NBA? Or is there a way that you can, because in my mind, simulations are <laughs> separate from using an sure. optimizer. You're using a separate program. You create lineups from the simulations that you can just upload directly to uh, you know, FanDuel or DraftKings. Um, and then an optimizer is creating lineups in a different way. So in my mind, they're like two separate things. Yeah. Uh, but are you using both? Is there a way that you're like creating simulations and then using the data from those simulations? Or, or what is the interplay there between simulations and an optimizer for you? Twofold answer. So okay. heading into this year, I built my sim in Excel. It all lived in Excel. It would spit out my optimal odds the same sort of way that we have the optimal percentage at awesomeo.com, I was creating that for myself based on my own data and using that to move forward. I, I would then use Fantasy Cruncher with some of the data that I had generated independently, import that into Fantasy Cruncher. Okay. I spent some time before this season started seeing if I could replicate my sim results as fast as I possibly could in Fantasy Cruncher. I wanted to save myself a little bit of time and find out how, how many lineups do I have to generate in Fantasy Cruncher with certain settings to basically create the exact same output that I was getting out of my Excel uh, simulator? And okay. I was able to do that. <laughs> so I can run a 250 lineup crunch with my randomness on. That would basically give me the same results that I was getting out of running a couple thousand shots out of my Excel simulator okay so so now you're basically just using fantasy cruncher to create the lineups that you previously would have done in excel yeah it, it just it was a time saver for me it, it basically like cut out a step so i what i did it was, it was pretty simple honestly uh, i ran my simulator i got all of my optimal odds i took a shot at what i thought randomness needed to be on each individual player made some sort of adjustments to standard deviations for each player and I started running crunches and I ran it first for 25 lineups. And then I exported every, all of the used, like uh, you can, you can copy the player list in fantasy cruncher, export all of the data that's on the screen. And I wanted to see how often guys were used. And I started just comparing that used column to my sim odds. And then I did 50 lineups and I did 75 and hundred and 125. And what I realized is it stabilized pretty quickly around 250 lineups where the, the, especially on like a bigger slate where people don't really separate from the pack all that much. You know, you get a lot of guys in like the 10% range. If my guy was at 10% in my SIM, 
there's a pretty decent chance that he was like nine to 11 coming out of fantasy cruncher. And I was like, okay, that saves me a ton of time. It is about as close as it's going to get to. I don't rely on that individual number. Like it's not going to having a guy at 9% or 10% isn't changing what I'm doing. And now I can save myself an immense amount of time by not having to run any of these new Sims. And I could use that 250 lineup crunch just out of the gate and then continue to crunch out more lineups. So I actually simplified that process significantly heading into this season. So I was really happy about that. (laughs) So, but is there any benefit to having fully simulated lineups? So, so I, I've never done simulations and I don't fully understand the concept, but in my mind, like a, a fully simulated lineup would, you know, within each, uh, simulation account for things like blowouts, right? So it'd be like, oh, if if Giannis doesn't get fourth quarter run, that probably means Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton don't also. So they all get pushed down and then maybe the backups get pushed up a few minutes and like ideally the, these fully simulated lineups should account for things like that or maybe maybe even injuries. I don't, I don't know if that's something that people actually do where they account for, you know, if this player gets hurt in the second quarter or this player doesn't get full run. So in my mind, like having the full lineups done in a simulated way where, you know, they're correlated, uh, that, that's a benefit to having full simulated lineups. I don't know if that's actually how it works. Uh, so I'm, I guess I'm asking you, do you think, is there any benefit to having fully simulated lineups? Do you think that that's, you know, that the tools are actually out there doing that kind of thing, where it's creating fully simulated, correlated lineups, lineups that might actually win a tournament based on some simulated results? Or is that, uh, am I getting ahead of myself? Is that something that people aren't really doing yet? I'm guessing that does not happen a lot. Okay. Uh I think that it's probably best if it did. I think it's probably marginal at that point in time. Like just running a generic sim where I take player X's fantasy point projection, let's say it's 50. I take a standard deviation, let's say it's 10. And I just use Excel to randomly generate 10,000 different potential outcomes based on those two numbers. I'm dumbing it down big time in comparison to what it actually could be the further out you go, the more you're turning it basically into a video game, honestly. There are at least the back end of a video game where if you want to start thinking about rotations and the way that those things are going to be impacted, mine is basically going to be set in stone for a particular set of minutes, and then it's going to just rotate around the fantasy points and standard deviation. But there's definitely a little bit more that you can do. I think it's just probably a marginal gain. I'm not a great, like, I don't have programming skills. I don't know any programming languages. I just sort of brute force things and learn enough to make whatever my personal question is work. If I had a bigger like knowledge base of programming languages, I would probably do a little bit more because it would just become easier for me. Okay. I don't have it. So I don't do more. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Then. I mean, so I, I was just curious if that's something that, you know, when people are running simulations, that's something that is typically done. And, and maybe there are people out there who do do these simulated lineups that, you know, correlate and all that stuff naturally and create lineups for you. Um, but I was curious if that's something that you're doing and then, yeah. you know, bringing it into. Yeah. So it's, I'd like to. it makes sense. It makes sense what you're telling me <laughs> that you're, that you're using fantasy cruncher then instead of, you know, having something else spit out these lineups for you yeah. um, that are, that are correlated. So then you, I mean, obviously you and I then create our own correlations within fantasy cruncher to, you yeah. know, have it essentially do what simulations would do, what we would like simulations to do. We're having fantasy cruncher do that for us instead. Yep. So um, absolutely. And you, I, I believe you said this earlier, uh, but I'll ask, uh, do you, do you create your own projections from scratch? Yeah. Still? For, for NBA, everything I have is from scratch. It doesn't exist anywhere else. 
which I'm happy about. Although they were the site projections for the first year. Spoiler alert. Really? Um, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, Alex didn't want to give them up. So the first year of Austin, the 2018-2019 the NBA season was my projections. That was not fun. Yeah. Uh, not like from a play perspective, uh, just like maintaining it was not, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I got to say, it sucks. makes me, it makes me happy to know that it's not just Alex on the back end updating all of the projections when news come. Now I know that there's a few guys doing the projections yeah. currently because that gave me some anxiety. The, the first couple of years when I was like, uh, there's just one guy who's up, like big news had come out. And I'm like, what if he's like, just not available right now? Like that happens. Yeah. Sometimes people can't be at their computer full time. It, it uh, calms me a little bit to know that there are three different guys back there updating these things instead of just one. Yeah, it was, it would just be like, I would open up my file. I would hit my updates. I would put it into this little tool that we had and that would push them out every once in a while when I couldn't be around, like Adam would cover it post lock because he was going to be around, but it, it, it wasn't a good time. I didn't enjoy it. It's a very different process on the back end now, which I bet is incredibly helpful to everybody else. But yeah, uh, for the NBA projections from scratch, for sure. NFL, I aggregate uh, MLB, my projections from scratch. Uh, I have played around with my own MMA projections. I've played around with my own soccer projections. Uh, golf, I don't even bother trying on my own, uh, although I should, but uh, that's an awesomeo.com one for me. Okay. Give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Awesomeo username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Awesomeo Plus Platinum. And and so for the sports that you do use your own projections, I mean, obviously you have access to everything at Awesomeo. Yeah. Um, do you do you check your work against their work or is it? Yep. You do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first, and, I, and it's not even just Awesomeo. Like I'm grabbing from everybody in the industry yeah. uh, to think, and like I would imagine just about anybody that's going to have this kind of conversation is pulling from all of the other major spots to at least take a peek at what's going on. You want to know where everybody's at because that's going to dictate ownership too. If you're yep. three, four fantasy points below on somebody else and they're massively high in a couple other spots, well, you know, if that guy goes crazy, you're going to see a certain site's logo at the top of a contest just a little bit more. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking at everybody's minutes uh, in the industry. I'm looking at everybody's projections in the industry. Um, but the first place that I'm going is Osmo because it's obviously incredibly easy for me to do that. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Um, I, I had a couple of uh, listener questions related to Fantasy Cruncher as well and how you use sure. it. Um, I'll start with the easy one. How do you use player groups in NBA DFS? Do, do you do typically groups? Are you doing a lot of groups? Uh, I think you mentioned that you watched uh, my show with Ahabro and he gets pretty into it. He does a ton of groups every day, whereas I'm, yeah. I leave it a lot more to the optimizer to make these things. And I said, I set groups occasionally, but I probably don't do as much as, uh, as I could with uh, making sure the everything is correlative. How much do you put into making groups in NBA DFS? Not a ton. Uh, most of what I'm going to be doing from a group's perspective is usually going to be salary-based. Um, generally speaking, uh, and so much of it is, I'm probably not going to be generating lineups that I don't want to begin with. There are, I, I think a lot of it is on the margins, but cases where the, the best example that I can think of right off the top of my head was Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton were all like incredibly expensive for a stretch, like more expensive than they are right now, at least from a Drew and Chris perspective. And I didn't want to generate a lineup where I had all three. So that would just be a group where I would be max two of three. 
because I think it's really hard for three guys at, you know, 8,500 plus and then Giannis at 11 K to simply get to where you need to be without such an outlier game from like a triple overtime perspective where they play 50 minutes instead of 35. That was the piece that I was doing the most, just trying to make sure that I didn't have three ultra high salary guys at the exact same time. And for the most part, that's not even going to get generated. Like if I'm going to generate a thousand lineups, I might get one or two. And that's sort of the piece that I try to think about the most. If I find myself getting a combination of guys from a particular team that is just crushing my lineups, it's everywhere. That's when I start to think about if that's coming up or not. But even situations when it's like the starting center and the backup center, a lot of people will talk about, you know, setting a group to maybe stop that from happening. I'm not going to set that group unless I find out that it's happening a lot. Otherwise, right. I just don't want to add more things to Fantasy Cruncher to slow it down. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I've, I think I've started doing a little bit more actually since my interview with Ahabro, and it is, uh, I find it slows things down pretty quickly when you start adding a little bit too much in there. It can really slow down the crunches. So that's definitely a, a balance for me as well all the time. And, and it's a salary thing. Like, uh, who would be a good example? Uh, let's, we, we'd use the heat here for this example. So, like, Bam Adebayo and Dwayne Dedman. Like, I'm not going to set that rule because even though, like, it makes sense, you know, for Deadman to get there, you probably need less minutes than Bam. You don't want them together. I understand where that's coming from. But most of that is because Bam is $8,500. If Bam is out and Dwayne Deadman is now going to play 26 minutes and Omer Yurtseven at 3,200 is going to play the other 22 minutes at center. I'm not going to set that rule because those guys' salaries are not going to preclude them from both of them having a day that's good enough at that point in time. The salary is sort of the bigger piece that I think people miss in those discussions in comparison to just sort of the relationship between the players. Right. They don't need to positively correlate necessarily. Yeah, I just had uh, my my, my last lineup that came close to winning had two players – uh, Trenton Watford and Drew Eubanks, both on yeah. the same team. They subbed out for each other one-to-one. Clearly negative correlation there, but they were cheap enough that it you know, almost worked out. It was could have won a big, big tournament. So uh, that made me think a lot about like, well, how much do I really want to be setting these rules? Because they, they both obviously projected well enough to make it into this lineup, despite uh, you know, being negatively being negatively correlated because they're cheap enough that they can both get there. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think I think that's a really good point that sometimes even though players are negatively correlated, they can both still get there if the if the price is right. Yeah, if those prices are low and we're talking about centers, we know that we're going to get 48 minutes from those guys if they play at a fantasy point per minute rate, which is pretty generic for a center in the NBA. We're talking about 48 fantasy points right there. If these guys are 4K or below, we're like starting to get to a point where if they just play slightly better than that fantasy point per minute rate, we're, we're talking about guys that can be in and around that 30 to 35 fantasy point range, at which point those value plays might be fine. Yeah, exactly. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the neural quantum processor. Because this is an audio ad, unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. 
If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Um another another listener question related to Fantasy Cruncher um and, and your style of play uh, asks I would like to know what Josh is looking at in order to set his minimum and maximum player exposures on a slate. Does he have an exploitative style of play or is he looking to play players at what he believes to be their optimal rate? This has been something that's changed a lot for me uh, more and more throughout the years. Um, So for min-max exposures, if we're talking about ultimately that end up in my lineup, I don't care what they are. If somebody is in 100% of my lineups, then they're in 100% of my lineups. Doesn't matter to me at all. I'm not trying to massage my exposures after the fact. If we're talking about what is going into Fantasy Cruncher to generate my lineups, that's a different discussion. Those things don't look the same. My exposures in my contests and the exposure caps that I set in Fantasy Cruncher are two completely different things. Fantasy Cruncher is just a mechanism to create lineups as fast as I possibly can. Not necessarily what I want or what I'm expecting as they get uh, put into Excel. So... At this moment in time, the caps that I do use, individual player caps in the NBA, they are going to be my optimal rates plus usually like an additional 2% across everybody just to create that little bit of wiggle room because if everything just adds up to 900, you, you it starts to choke on lineups a little bit down the line. So yeah. it's usually just exposure cap plus 2%, clear across the board for everybody. And then I'm going to be generating probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand lineups uh, and then pairing that down to 150 along with a minimum fantasy point projection to just really not let any of the garbage get created from the beginning. That's really fascinating to me that so, so you use it you use your your optimal rate based on your sims your optimal rate as a baseline and then add two percent and that's your exposure cap that's uh, yep. it's different than anything I've ever heard before so it, it's always fascinating talking to people about how they use fantasy cruncher and obviously there's as you say a lot of a lot of ways to skin a cat that's a really interesting way to do it and I think that makes sense that you don't want to set it right at that limit because then it's gonna probably slow down fantasy cruncher and you kind of want to want to let it you know do do some work on its own so I think that's a, a smart way to do it I like that um, yeah I guess that that answers uh, that question in its entirety uh, we had another uh, DFS related question not really about optimizer necessarily or your process but somebody asked a question when max entering two similar stake DFS tournaments, this also might not apply to you since I don't think you necessarily do this, but when max entering two similar stake DFS tournaments on the same slate, are there times that we better to have 300 different entries rather than just having uh, the same 150 in both? I think the answer is really dependent upon the payout structure of the contest for one, or like the prize pool. You know, if it's, you're entering 150 and it's 100k to first and the other one is like 5k to first i might not want to play 300 lineups because i might not be able to mentally deal with the fact that i win one and not the other but i win the 5k not the 100k like that yeah. that's not really like an answer 
because that's just like a personal preference thing. If it's a similar prize pool and it's a big enough, like it's a nine game NBA slate, then I just want more bull. I want to play 300 lineups. There are so many different lineup combinations. I just want more of them. But if it's a hundred K to first and then five K to first in the other one, I'll probably just dupe the the 150 just to save my mental. Because if I win the five K one on a different lineup, I'm going to lose my mind. So the, the first time I was a guest on Blender's show, uh, we had that exact same discussion and I said the exact same thing as you. Um, you know, if you, you can, if you play more lineups, generally that's what I'll do. I'll, if I'm playing, you know, across two, 150 max across two different uh, tournaments, generally I want to decrease my variance and you can decrease your variance by playing a 300 unique lineups that decreases yeah. your variance. But at the same time, I'm the same way as you were. I don't want to have that regret of winning the tournament that has a $5,000 top prize instead of the 100000 So if yeah. I'm doing two different tournaments with very different payout structures, that's when I'll do the same 150 yeah. across the two. Or like a, a ticket to like a FanDuel live final or something. Then I'm definitely going to play the same lineups in both because I don't want to yeah. get second in that in that contest where it's a FanDuel live final to first. And no, yeah, so yeah, definitely same exact answer for me. There's just like on an eight game NBA slate, uh, like people think because they set the limit at 150 lineups, like that's a lot. And it's just not, there are, uh, it's, it's 300s, not a lot. Right. (laughs) So uh, in those cases, like if you've got a contest, that's hundred K up top or two fifty K up tops that you can play, then I want to play two separate sets of 150 lineups and give myself the best chance of picking that off. But yeah, I just, the downside, like, like the mental downside, so you got to think about that from time to time, even if that is like the slightly wrong answer. I right. also just want to be happy. Yep. And I'm not yeah, going to be happy if I win that 5K contest. I, yeah. And on some nights you would be, but on a night where yeah. you could have won 100,000 otherwise, that's where it's like, then 5,000 is not enough if you, right. if it would have been 100,000 otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny talking about 150 being a small, like people don't realize even on showdown, I'll play 300 lineups and not have the winner. <laughs> like, yeah. like people don't realize like how, how small the sliver is of the actual number of different lineups you could have, even in a showdown contest is yeah. much, much larger than 300. Yeah. Um, yeah. 150 so. is just not a lot. Yeah. No matter what people think it is. Yep. Uh, another question was, how have you progressed uh, your contest selection over time? And and from, you know, when you started building your bankroll, how has your contest selection changed over time? Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that question. Just the first part of that question first. Oh, it's worse. It's <laughs> unquestionably worse. Now I don't pay attention to it. And I yeah. probably should. Uh, that's not good. I don't, I'm not advocating for what I'm saying, but uh, I care a lot less about the contests that I'm entering right now and basically just sort of blindly taking runs at uh, higher dollar payouts than the things that like waiting on the second version of a, a contest to get posted that very clearly has a better payout structure and everything. Look, you know, it's that this new one is 2x min cash and a flatter payout structure. Should I be getting into that one instead of that main one that pays 100k to first and 30 to then 10k to third? Yeah, probably. Right. But I also want the 100k. So I, my decision-making process in, ter- in terms of selecting contests is infinitely worse than it was five years ago. Yeah. For me, so for, for me, he asked uh, me to add to this as well. I've always just entered the, the highest state contest or, or the, the contest with the highest payout to first was always yep. I just, the, the largest field GPP has always been my approach. What I started, it would be, 
I don't know. I don't know if I ever played just one lineup, but it would be like a few lineups, three to 10 lineups when I first started playing. And at the yeah. time also, when I started playing, it was $2 on FanDuel. Like that, that was like the, the buy-in for the largest field tournaments. Whereas yeah. obviously now you, you don't really find those $2 ones anymore. FanDuel is right. still relatively cheap. But uh, yeah, for me, it the only way it's progressed is now I have a bigger bankroll. So now I won 50 max instead of only playing a handful yeah. of lineups. But I'm basically saying playing the same contest as I was when I started. Um, the second part of this question, I think this is a, a roto tracker question. Uh, okay. What kind of edge do you look for when tracking results? Uh, top one percent, top 0.5 percent, etc. What what kind of things are you looking at uh, in results on roto tracker? That's basically it. You know, looking at lineups that are falling in the top 10 percent, five percent, one percent of contests. I mean, that's that's driving everything. Uh, it like I don't I don't care at all. Uh, that I'm like beating the cut line that doesn't, it doesn't, right. I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, probably like what, how many lineups are you putting in the top 20% over everybody else? Like cash or not cash in the aggregate is probably a decent thing to look at, but right. all that matters most is how many are you giving, like how many bullets do you have that are in the top 1% where at that point in time, I think we're starting to get into full, full randomness of decisions or even if you want to say like the top half percent, uh, there is no difference. And people think that there probably is. There's no difference between finishing first and fourth in a GPP. It's uncontrollable. No one is better or worse at doing that than anybody else. That is an edge. Maybe that's an edge that can exist over lifetimes. You can see that somebody somehow is slightly better there. To me, it is, it's, it's a scorekeeper calling an assist correctly or right. not. And... Yeah. I don't want to get bogged down on, oh, I'm down 30 grand over this past month because I have three third place finishes instead of one guy making a layup and I'm up 50 grand because right. one of those turned into 100K. So you have to look at it in terms of just your opportunities to be near the top. Otherwise, if you're just paying attention to dollars and cents, you could really be putting yourself in a either positive situation where you're underestimating yourself or negative, the opposite direction. But uh, yeah, um, I'm looking, I'm going straight to that graph that has the percentiles broken down yeah. and that's exactly what I'm looking at. Yeah, that, that's what I'm looking at as well. It's more more interesting to look at your how many lineups you're putting or what proportion of your lineups you're putting into the top 1% or the top 0.1% uh, than it is just looking at the actual money that you make because there's just so much variance at the top and it's in the end, it's just luck with whether you get first or fourth, as you're saying. Yeah. So what, what percentage of lineups do you think that a player needs to have in the top 1%, would you say, that, where it's like you maybe don't need to change up what you're doing. Like obviously if you're putting less than 1% into yeah. the top 1%, you need to make some adjustments. But where do you think like, yeah. okay, you're doing okay. You can, you know, what you're doing is probably fine. What, what would you say that cutoff line is? That's an interesting question because this is the type of information that isn't really readily available. You need right. to search that out for others because you don't really know what you're comparing it to. You'd like to double it. Like that's, that feels safe. You know, if you see that you get 2% in on a 1%, you're probably feeling pretty good about it. You could even probably sneak in a little bit lower than that, Mark. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'd love to see myself be at 2% in 1%. I think that might be a bit too aggressive, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll say for me, when I was playing fewer lineups, I would have seasons where I would be above 
three percent yeah and now like last year i only put in like 1.4 percent in the top one percent like yeah. th for me the higher the volume i play the less i put into the top one percent and i think that right. makes sense so if you're i would say if you are uh playing you know if you're 150 maxing probably put in 1.4 percent i mean i it was yeah. a very profitable year for me last year uh although it was it was my work my worst year in terms of putting lineups into the top one percent it was still my second most profitable year ever sure. um so i I feel like putting at least like 1.4%. I've heard other people say 1.3% could be fine. Um, but if you're only playing a handful of lineups, I think you want to be doing significantly better than that. It's just yeah. because it, if you're only playing a handful, you're putting your absolute best in and probably, yeah, around 2%. You should be doing great. If, if you're putting 2% in, I think you probably stay the course. It also depends on which contest you're entering too. True. You know, we're talking, if we're talking about 150 maxing a, a higher dollar contest, uh, the competition at the top is going to be more difficult. If yeah. you're playing a lower dollar contest, it's just going to be slightly easier for you because you're playing a lot. A lot more lineups are dead in the water out of the gate or just not constructed properly. So your stakes are going to sway that sort of decision point a little bit more where I'm not playing as much high dollar stuff. I'm sort of jamming into the sort of the lowest dollar 100K to first contest that I can get to. So I sort of generally expect mine to be a little bit higher than it is but you know 1.5 is probably going to be like my for that type of contest if it's any if i'm getting any lower than 1.5 i'm going to start thinking about how i can fix that yep yep i think that makes sense right around that number um so we we probably need to end pretty soon because i know mike has another show in 20 minutes uh, i'm just going to okay. see if there are any other questions that i feel like need to be answered uh I apparently missed an inside joke here about you don't wash your hands. Uh, Greg asked, what would you have, what would have to happen for you to wash your hands? I don't know. I, I feel like I watch all the shows and then I miss like one here or there. I guess I, I was in uh, Florida for a week, so I wasn't playing DFS or watching content. Maybe that's where this joke comes from, but I miss, uh, so you don't wash your hands. What's going on there? Uh, I stated that I do not, uh, I generally speaking, do not wash my hands when I use my bathroom in my own home. Okay. Uh, which was not met with uh, a lot of like positive reinforcement in chat. We'll say this. Now, it's not to say that I do not wash my hands. That's preposterous. Like if I'm going into the kitchen, I'm going to prepare food. The first thing that I'm doing is washing my hands. Right. I just assume I'm going to be all right in my own home. I pick this up constantly. It's right. filthy. I, I don't know, clean yeah. it. Most people don't clean it. So I don't exactly think that I'm going from the sterilization process after I have to use the bathroom and like keeping myself in full scrubs, like I'm going into open heart surgery, I'm grabbing a bunch of filthy stuff constantly. So to me, it wasn't that big of a deal. If I'm out in public, yes, I'm going back out into the public. I'm cleaning myself up a bit. If I'm at my house, the bathroom's out here, I'm coming right back. I don't care enough. So the answer is you need to either be leaving your house or cooking. That's what has to happen for you to wash your hands. Sounds about right. Yeah. All right. That's, that's fair enough. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I totally missed that conversation. So I did not know what I was getting into asking that question, but uh, great, great question, Greg. Uh, another question. Uh, what, I don't know if you have an answer for this. Somebody asked, what's a good 400 to $500,000 housing neighborhood to target if I'm moving to Wilmington? I don't know. That's, that's too far below my price range. I can't, I don't know where those houses are. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I didn't know but if honestly, that was a I don't know. There's, there's plenty of options. Was, 
Okay. There's br brand new developments everywhere that you'd be fine getting into. My previous home is in that range. Uh, that would be a great neighborhood to be in. So anywhere in the um, anywhere around Ogden Elementary, great school district too, for those of you that would care about something like that. All right. Good. Good answer. Uh, I guess one more listener question, then I'll ask you my closing question. Uh, sure. And I, this is a tough one. So any it says any winning gambler knows to save twenty eight percent for taxes. That being said, what other tips are helpful tax savings for winning DFS players? Also, what are good items to maintain records of to minimize tax burdens? Do you have any good answer there? Uh, don't pay the taxes if you don't want to, and hope that they don't audit you. It would be a decent way to save have some tax savings. Uh, All right. Uh, like, I know that sounds like a really ridiculous thing to say, but you know, you could take a shot depending on how much your, uh, your winnings are. I don't advocate for that. Uh, the audit, look, if you get audited, you just correct your mistakes. It's not like you're going to go to jail because you didn't pay taxes on the 5k you won from DraftKings. So depending on how much you want, it's a little different. You might want to withhold that if you, if you pop the milli or something along those lines. So it's all relative. I don't really have one. Uh, if when I have any sort of legitimate wins, I take 30% of it right away. It just goes into a savings account until the end of the year. And I don't really think twice about it. I feel the need to say now that this is not financial or legal yeah. advice. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah, I've never sure. had to say that on a show yet, but I feel like this is the one the one spot where I might need to say that. Uh, yeah. The but, but just for the record, I'm joking. Pay your pay <laughs> yeah. the taxes if you're getting uh, 1099s in the mail. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, the only other thing that I would add to that is I heard from. Uh, from Peter, Peter Kwan, who does my taxes, has said, uh, if you are having a big year, don't spend your crowns. That's the only other advice that I will give because those are taxable. So save the crowns, spend them for a down year. Save, save them for the next year if you're having a down year. Um, there you go. And then I will just add uh, my closing question. So I, I've had this, this topic. I, I brought this up with a few guests already. And I'm just curious to hear what other people in the industry you know, think about this. Uh, I'm always curious to hear. So is the edge gone in DFS or are you concerned about the edge going away anytime soon? So I know like in poker, the edge kind of slipped away over time and uh, became less and less over time. Do you have concerns about the edge in DFS going away? It depends. And the, the depending point doesn't really have, I don't think it's going to matter from uh, a user standpoint because I think there are all... Based on the content that I see from time to time, uh, there are going to be a lot of people just making constant mistakes. The problem lies in how big the rate gets because that's really the deciding factor on if the edge is gone. If the rake is too high, then the edge could be gone through no fault of your own. You can still be beating everybody else. We just can't beat the tax that we have to pay on top of it. Or if you can beat that type of thing, it has to happen over such a gigantic time span that I might die before I actually get to it. <laughs> so- right. Do I think the edge is gone in DFS? No, especially if you haven't hit your thresholds for the cutoffs on FanDuel and DraftKings for uh, contests that you can get in. Like if you're still able to get into the lower dollar stuff, no, no, that edge is still out there for sure. And you should be jamming away every single cent that you can until you can't. That's where that edge is going to lie more than anything else. At the top end, It'll get dimmer and dimmer depending on how much FanDuel and DraftKings and Yahoo to a degree are trying to take off the top. That'll be the deciding factor. I don't know. I assume that ends up getting bigger, but maybe uh, it, it would surprise me if it ever didn't get bigger. I can't imagine they're going to put that toothpaste back in the tube. So it's starting to get to a critical mass point. So you mean it would surprise you if it got smaller? 
Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, did I okay. say bigger? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it would surprise me if the rake got you said smaller. if it didn't get bigger. So yes. Okay, okay, yeah. That's well. That's a dumb way to say that. Yeah, it would. I would Just be very sure surprised if these companies lowered the percentage of rake on contest, and that's yeah. really going to be the the part that squeezes you the most. Yeah, that's really so. So I brought this up a few times, and I won't go over all of my thoughts on it uh, again. But I agree with you in general that probably. Uh, the edge is always going to be there over other players, but you make an interesting point about the sites could increase rake. That's not something that we've talked about here before, but that is a way that it could could go away. But I mean, to me, there, there is they, they kind of have to balance that as well because we're not going to play, right? If, if the rake gets too high, at some point, we're all going to stop playing, I would think. Uh, but that's definitely an interesting point. That could be the, the biggest threat to the edge because I, I think... Like you said, I think there's always people making mistakes, but yeah, if if that if the rate gets too high, that's a really good point. That that could be uh, kind of the end for us. That could be where we lose that edge. The the sports betting piece of it is going to be really interesting. If that becomes a thing that is everywhere, I wonder what DFS starts to look like. I yep. prefer a DFS contest to sports betting. I don't have a ton of interest in sports betting. Um, to me, I don't think that there's a giant like. I don't. My idea of sports betting is line reactionary, uh, trying to beat stale numbers. It's not like, oh, the Bulls are going to win by six today because the Bulls are going to win by six. Like, I don't, right. I don't believe that I'm smarter than the like a pinnacle closing number, where right. or like on an NFL Sunday where they're going to take like 250 grand on lines. I'm not beating that stuff. I need to beat that because someone left that hanging on Sportsbook X or, you know, you're taking advantage of boosts or injury news and you get there the 30 seconds before they're able to react to it. So betting is going to take a chunk out of DFS, I think for sure. I just have no interest in that kind of take. I hope that somehow the legalization of sports betting creates more types of DFS contests and not less. That'd be cool. Yeah. I just don't know what that actually entails. I've never thought about it enough to see what that entails. Yep. Yeah, I'm on the, I'm on the same page as you there too. I'd much prefer DFS to sports betting, but yeah, that's uh, at some point, maybe the sites say, you know what, we make more money from sports betting. Maybe that that takes away their incentive to keep us playing. So maybe at that point, they're like, screw it. You can keep playing if you want to, but we're going to charge you 25% rake. Like that, that could be where they just don't really care about maintaining DFS as a big industry anymore because they're more concerned about sports betting. So yeah, I guess that's that might be the bigger concern as well for us if we, you know, as DFS players, maybe the it shrinks a little bit as they focus more on sports betting, which would be a bummer for both you and I. You would think DFS would be able to stick around because outside of a contest not filling, there's no risk in DFS contest for, right. like, let's say DraftKings. Like, let's say they're going to take 15% on a GPP. They're going to take that, if, if that contest gets to the fill point, they're taking that 15% with no, they don't care right. what there's happens no in that there. slate, nothing matters. If they're taking too much money on a particular side of a game, they have downside risk on the opposite side. If, right. Like if their hold is the same percentage, there's there are swings for them in sports betting. But th like to me, DFS is like a risk-free gambit for them so long as they know how to set their sizing of their contests. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, uh, it looks like Mike probably needs to. Uh, we probably need to take off because Mike probably needs a break. Sorry, Mike, for running a little bit long. Uh, appreciate you for sticking around with us. <laughs> Josh, uh, where can people find you? 
at Josh Engelman on FanDuel, DraftKings, Osimo, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I am Josh Engelman on literally everything that you could possibly want, except for my Osimo email, which is just Josh, because I didn't get the sense that I needed to. Uh, I didn't. There weren't any other Joshes for me to fight for that email when it first came out. But I'm Josh Engelman on literally everything. Perfect. All right. Well, people can find you there. Thanks again to Josh Engelman for joining me on episode four of High Stakes. You'll be able to find episode five of High Stakes next Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on YouTube or wherever podcasts live. Thanks for joining. Have a great weekend. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.